2: All right, everyone. I want to welcome you back to the Tip of the Tower podcast. Uh, I'm glad. I'm I'm jumping right now. Woo! We just finished. Uh, we just finished a lovely interview with the ever so talented Haley Salvián, who uh, writes for the Athletic. We won't get too much into that right now because the interview is quite long, but very, very informative. So
3: very nice of her to stick on for that long. Usually, people oh don't my. stand us for. I was like a very looking at the
2: time. time, like, oh my god! Like you know, the original plan was she was going to come in studio. But CJ was just trying to
3: get out of here. He didn't want anything to do with this. No,
2: <laughs> I mean CJ, CJ. CJ. was even valuable to
3: when he. Oh no, he CJ did it was too. fantastic. So he just is a very busy man, and so is Haley. Yeah, yeah. I, I think sometimes we, we we take
2: for granted the time
3: that they have to. Very um,
2: busy individuals, those hockey writers. Yeah, I mean, especially you know the beat that they're you know that they're
3: on and. How much the beauty of our thing is we can just write about hockey whenever we want. They have been... somebody's. They have to do hockey as a job, so they they are
2: against the clock. I do know that because I do edit CJ's work sometimes, so like, I do know that that you know I can't just deadline spend work this... is
3: is scary. Oh,
2: well, I mean it's like you know I her. her not, she probably had there's deadlines based on what editors are available and to get it out the times they want to get out. I guess in Haley's case. No, it's for subscribers. Most no herself oh, yeah. is for subscribers. There is some social aspect to it. They want to get it out and there's a timeliness to it. Oh, yeah. So um regardless, we do appreciate her taking the time because that was uh very thoughtful of her. We owe her something. We'll figure that out. Um when we see her in person. But um you know, a, a, part, a reason why part of the reason why I brought someone like her on is because she's one of the few level-headed people I can kind of talk to right now when it comes to this. Because like every yeah. every time I every time someone talks to me, it, it is now. Oh, what are they gonna do?
3: You know, they're in a really tough spot right now. It's that time of the year where it's like everything just. This
2: is rough.
3: This is rough. It's not fun. I barely watched the game last night because I just. And I mean,
2: I had I watched the game because of I was working. Um, yeah, but
3: if you have it in front of you, then why not? Look, I'll
2: take losing a game like that. Oh yeah, I have I had no issues with them losing that game because you know, Nashville's a good team. People people forget. I mean, I know Nashville's not first in the Central. Everyone's talking about the Sharks, the the Flames, the Vegas Golden Knights, the Pacific Division. It's kind of like the. The monster of the Western Conference, but the Central Division is still there. Is no easy. I wouldn't
3: say the Pacific Division's that great. I I, honestly, Central is a bunch.
2: My opinion of this, and I think you were going to get to it, was um, Pacific Division. The bottom is the really, really awful. It's bad. It's not like in the Central where the bottom teams are all competing for a playoff spot. Like you look, Nashville, Winnipeg. Dallas, St. Louis. Oh, Chicago, I'm also putting Vegas Arizona. in the
3: central in my head. Vegas no, Vegas and the Pacific. Pacific. Okay, so, like you in the
2: Pacific. Pacific got Vegas, Calgary, uh, San Jose. Guess what? The two T. Well, none of the wall. Arizona. Cars. I'm just doing well. Uh, oh yeah, they're Pacific.
3: they're creeping.
2: They're and they're going to be moving to the central. By the way, Arizona. Yep. That's why I kind of got that mixed up. Arizona's the only wall- team. It, it's that's a team well- you think
3: there. would be in the central. That's the weird thing. Yeah.
2: You know? Even though they're closest to the Pacific, yeah, uh, the anyway. Oilers, the Details. Canucks, <laughs> and the Kings and the Ducks, like yeah, it the Pacific, topic, they, yeah. there's a real imbalance when it comes to the divisions in uh, in the Western Conference. So, um, people who think that Nashville, like the Leafs, were, the Leafs gave them a tough go, like the first the the Brian Boyle goal, like it was a nice shot. I don't know how you leave Brian Boyle open like Brian
3: Boyle. He's big. He scores goals. Wayne Simmons, he's big. He scores goals. The Wayne
2: Simmons goal really annoyed me because I don't know what Ojiganov was doing on the play. Like he wasn't he was going to go behind the net. He was covering the guy behind the net. When you have a guy, <laughs> guy right in front of the net in the slot. So that that annoyed me. Priorities. Uh, like you know the Leafs were generating shots. The Leafs like Tavares could have easily scored. Like if he scored that goal it's a 1-1 game. It's a different story at that
3: point. And Rene robbed Johnson as well.
2: Rene was unreal last night. Um, yeah, he so was fantastic. As we're recording this, this is on a Wednesday, so big old game in Buffalo. Garrett Sparks, Garrett Sparks, and Carter Hudden are the matchups.
3: I don't even remember what that quote was. Energy? What the hell did he say? Emotion. Emotion. Thank Emotion. you. Emotion. Oh, I knew it was getting, an E word.
2: We're we're getting into that, but uh, just some news off
3: the top. Uh, I mean, we're recording this at. Garrett Sparks, if he gives up a goal tonight, the first goal, he's just snapping a stick over the crossbar.
2: Yeah, let's see that emotion. Um, As we were recording this, uh, we did our interview with Haley before. uh, We got the news that Nylander
3: is sick. Apparently. Is there like an official... I'm going off because I got a, a fantasy update. I didn't even see a tweet.
2: Well, we know Babcock. Babcock
3: did say that Nylander was
2: sick. Yeah. I mean, um, but, but he expects him to play because it's kind of, you know, playing against his brother. But they could sit him if he's not Alex playing. is up. I forgot about that. Um, he's been in
3: Rochester for so long. It's...
2: Yeah, Buffalo does a terrible job with some of their prospects that are oh. not
3: top. The weird thing him. is most teams are like, they push their prospects too much.
2: Nealander Neal went from playing in Mississauga to playing for Rochester. Which is and fine. At least and he's his not, head injuries.
3: He's played, what, two, almost three seasons on and off in the AHL now and he still hasn't been able to find his stride. They've just had rough, like they're not very good at, I guess in Rochester developing. Well, I mean, look, the, the reason,
2: the way the Marlies have been able to be successful in that regard is because they, um, they made a good team around their prospects. Rochester, they haven't made a good team around the prospects. Uh, Nylander, Alex Nylander, that is, has spent 49 games in Rochester, 12 goals, 19 assists, 31 points.
3: We did go see him. They played uh, one of the games we went to. They played Rochester, and Alex played. That was what, two years ago, I think. Yeah. yeah, 2017.
2: So that, yeah. So I mean, look, we want Neilander. We want to see Alex Nylander Nelander do well. But, but hey, you know, if it doesn't work
3: out, he can come and join like his yeah, brother in Toronto. Yeah. You know, their like their top prospects don't play in Rochester. It's weird. Casey Middlestat didn't play.
2: No, he went from the straight from college college to the NHL. Sam
3: Reinhardt only played three games for Rochester. Yeah, I mean uh, he's kind
2: of figured out because he's playing with uh, Eichel, so that makes I sense. I don't even know
3: if Risto played for them. Um, he would have played in Finland. I'm no? just looking up right now. I think he played. I think so.
2: He would have gone from Finland to Buffalo.
3: He, oh, he, uh, no, he played for. No, I'm. I always get this wrong. I said this again in our in our Uh-oh. thing. I was like, he played for the Knights. He played for the London Knights. Like, no, that's only Ulelevi. Oh, uh, it's definitely the wrong Finn. So what did Linen do? Well, because I, I have it in my head. Because London used to you do. You just think Finnish defensemen. Yeah. No, hmm. London used to do the knights used to do like uh, their own twenty four seven behind the scenes. And this is when Marner and Stolarz and all the like the the Memorial Cup, the most recent mm-hmm. team. It was like a couple of years before Marner was a rookie, and they had Uwe Levy and they had Nikita Zadorov uh, on Zdor- the same Zdorov. team. Zdorov? Wow. Yeah, Zadorov played for. Uh... Maybe this was different. Anyhow, um, yeah, he played for TPS. No, he played uh, thirty-four games for Rochester Ristolainen, so he got some time. He got some time, which is oh and... right, because he played for Rochester when they went to was it the Spengler Cup? There was some international tournament that Rochester played in. Wow, really? I didn't. even know I think know it that. was the Spengler, and they played against Canada. I mean, and Ristolainen this... was like the big player.
2: At this point, you would know more than me. So um, if
3: I don't know anything, I just remember the Rochester Americans uh, played for some reason in in the Spengler cup or something. One of those international like crossover tournaments. Well, Buffalo,
2: we just gave you some good uh, insight right there. Yeah. hard hitting Um,
3: things that never use your AHL team to make prospects work. So
2: I get why Lee's fans are not happy right now. I understand, you know, the, the problem is when things are going bad in Toronto, it is very hard to find something positive about it or to not to escape the negativity. I mean, we know how the media can be, especially the two big networks. Um, I mean, I, I freelance for one of them, so I I'm I see it um, all the time. Yeah. But I'm just very curious to know. Um, I, I love the keyboard warriors that are calling for Mike Babcock's head. And are taking everything he's saying and re- like running like the, the Dubis comment. It wasn't even the Dubis comment. It was a comment that people put towards Dubis, uh, which we're going to get to in a second. But first f- and foremost, if any of the people who are listening to this podcast are somebody who's called for Mike Babcock's firing or have said things that I always say, this is my, this is my policy when it comes to social media. Especially on Twitter and Facebook. If I am not capable of saying it to the person's face, I do not tweet it. I do not write about it. Everything I say is genuine to me because I will turn around and defend it or say it to someone's face. I feel like that hiding behind your Twitter account is wrong. And... Calling for a coach's firing when in the past three years, three out of the four years, this team has been in a playoff spot. Uh, people are getting mad that he's not using certain young players. Guess what? When Babcock, second year as coach, Austin Matthews is his second line center. Second kind of for Like, he played Austin Matthews. He, guess what? Mitch Marner, the Best player on the Leafs right now, everyone was talking about. Babcock uh, was uh, criticized for playing him on the third and fourth line. And guess what? Did he break Mitch Marner? I don't think so. It is (laughs) a massive overreaction. This is probably the worst overreaction I've seen of the Leafs
3: in a long time. It's probably the worst overreaction since Austin Matthews went, what, like five games without scoring, and everyone's like, is he crap? Is he not good? I, I do like the view who are picking on Austin Matthews and saying, you,
2: you know, he's, he's not playing the style to win when, guess what, when the Leafs are down four goals, who's the one that's trying to push them to actually
3: try to win? I counted at least twice last night. And as I said, I did not watch most of the game, so there could have been many more instances twice that I was watching Austin Matthews just stepped through an entire line of Nashville players with no support and almost scored and this is a Nashville team that does not like to give time and space this is a Nashville team that also has one of the best defenses in the NHL and plays one of the best systems
2: or uh, I know look I do I agree I do I think that Matthews defensive game hasn't been great there's been some issues there's been oh, faceoff yeah. issues there's been but these are correctable things
3: the faceoff issues is are something that you can figure out. It's very easy. they need easy. to figure it out because it's not Matthews. It's not the guy that loses the draw is not immediately the guy that's at fault. It's a five-man unit. Most of the goals, at least have been called out on their face-off coverage. It's been point shots that the wingers haven't gotten out to. The defenders haven't cleared their front of the net. There's been different issues with every goal. There it's was not...
2: that Ian Tullock article where he talked about how the yeah. Leafs were the worst team when it comes to... Chances generated right after a faceoff loss. Yeah. There's, it's a system thing. Yeah. And either players aren't executing Babcock's plan or Babcock's plan needs to be altered. Yeah. But look, um, I was listening to uh, Elliot Friedman's 31 Thoughts podcast and how he talked about Babcock really taking a charge of practice. Yeah. You know, the one thing I'll say the Philadelphia game. The score was 7-6. They played
3: way better than the, can, what that score showed. Can we talk about that game real quick? Sure. A lot of people really are like... How do I put this? <laughs> stupid? No, People are dumb by nature, me included. There. Are, no, we're not saying everyone is. There's a no. select few people who... Well, I'm not calling out anybody in particular, but a lot of people are like, oh, that's such a character win. Yes, it is a very character win. But the fact that the Leafs had to come back and just in general, they've had to come back way too often yeah. because of crap play in the first couple of periods. Yeah. Like I'm I'm extremely tired of seeing a Leaf team that just takes the first period or two off. I am too and then shows up in place to their potential when the game's already out of hand. And mm-hmm. it happened in the Chicago game. It happened in the Philly game. The difference is there was crap goaltending on the other side and Brian Elliott gave up some softies that allowed the Leafs back in the game. Yeah. But the Leafs put themselves in a position to lose. And if you do that in the playoffs, there's n- you're not going to you're not going to score what, five straight goals and come back to beat the Bruins. He, it's he, possible. Anything's possible in sports. But to put yourself in a situation like that against a playoff team, you're you're crucifying yourself. You are. No, exactly.
2: And that that's been I think that's been the biggest issue. The issue really hasn't been the defense. It's they haven't the, the whole point of the Leafs being a really good five-on-five team is that they attack you, and they're relentless. That game against Calgary is the type of game you expect the Leafs to play. Now, my there's times where Freddie had to bail them out. Guess what? It's a, He's a goaltender. There's it's his job.
3: Every game Freddie's had to bail this team out. Like it's, it's a flawed team. It's No team is perfect. No team is perfect. Even the Tampa Bay Lightning, I'm sure, have some things that they want to... As good as they've been this season, there are probably some things that irk them and things they want to get better at. Yeah. But Frederick Anderson's been the team's MVP. I don't care what Tavares has done, what Marner's done, Matthews, Nylander, Kapanen, whoever you want to throw in there. Uh, Morgan Riley, I keep forgetting how great of a season he's had. Frederick Anderson is this team's MVP. Yeah, he and is.
2: No, no no, doubt about it.
3: I think they're fighting for a playoff spot if Frederick Anderson's not the goalie of this team. Exactly. Exactly. You know, we get, their system's just not good enough, or they haven't no, executed it. No, they
2: honestly, I I honestly just think that look, the big thing about the Leafs is they struggle so hard to either get the puck out of the zone. Yeah, that's the first problem. Second problem, Jake Muzzin brought this up, and like I see it too, slowing down players in the neutral zone. Yeah, when you have guys just absolutely killing you in that neutral zone and backing you up quick plays and, and you're not able to get in coverage because you're slow as hell yeah.
3: or look dead-ass tired, which is what I've seen. If guys are clogging up the neutral zone, you have to beat them with speed. The stretch pass crap where people And are I'm talking about the uh, the other way, too, is how point. the Leafs defend the neutral zone, oh, too. Oh, yes.
2: Yeah, like, it goes both ways. Neutral zone play is so important. Part of the reason is also because the Leafs get caught so deep in their offensive zone yeah. that... The two defensemen are having to cover three guys in quick transition. So, I'm not exactly a big fan of how that's worked out. Now, look, the Leafs right now are at 91 points. I didn't realize the Bruins got to six ahead of the Leafs. Yeah, um, they uh,
3: they beat... theres I can't put a team to it. They beat somebody 5 they beat, nothing. last Oh, right? they beat New York, the Islanders. Yes, 5 nothing. So, oh, right. Matt Martin tried to fight Zeno Chara. And yeah, that worked fatten. out really
2: well for him. Uh, there's nine games left before the playoffs start. Yep. At this point, the Leafs can do either one of two things: they can really push for that second spot, or you consider giving guys a couple, some breather nights, and just prepare for the playoffs. I think you go with the latter. At this point, uh, we're going to talk a little more about the next few stretch. There's one last thing I want to bring up before we bring in Haley's interview. Yep, Gary Sparks. I was not look. Look, Austin Matthews Last after the game Against the Tampa Bay Lightning Called out the team Saying that we quit He said we quit He didn't say There were guys On the team who quit He said we quit He included himself When you say we That means me You, you I Lumped everyone in Lumped everyone in He said we quit Very fair assessment
3: but there's guys going like back over each other. That's sort of the issue with the Leafs right now. Sorry, go ahead.
2: Yeah, um, maybe there's guys that are not taking this as seriously because they think that nothing is really wrong. Um, Garrett Sparks, after the Ottawa game, said, we need to play with more emotion. Two things came out of that. One, people says why is it Garrett Sparks that's saying that? Yep. Um, now, look, I mean, your backup goalie shouldn't be saying that. Um, It's really hard for a backup goalie that hasn't played consistently well to say that because the credibility, in my opinion, isn't really there. And now the people who are defending Garrett Sparks. um, And look, there's two crowds. The the Garrett Sparks haters and the Curtis McElhinney lovers. Look, McElhinney has been incredible for the Hurricanes. Absolutely incredible. Two things I'll say about that. The Hurricanes defense played a better defensive game than the Leafs. So... McElhinney probably wouldn't have the exact same numbers if he was on Toronto. But I do think he would make a difference because he's shown it here. Yep. It's not like he, you know, this is a guy that the Leafs wanted and they couldn't get and Carolina got. No, this is a guy they had. They made a decision. Dubas made a decision. We know Babcock's feelings on the decision. And
3: in, in hindsight, yeah. I mean hindsight 2020 foresight as well like i i think how old is garrett sparks 26 26 i think you have an ahl goaltender making 700 600 000. well under the a the and and gary and Macalina wasn't making a lot either no the salaries were not an issue you have a goaltender under 30 making well under a million dollars that's signed and he's coming off one of the best statistical seasons in ahl history and you have a 30 year old 30, no, sorry, no, he's way 30, older, excuse me.
2: 37, 38, something Goodness. like that. 30, in the high 30s.
3: Yeah, so I gave McElhinney a couple more years than he's actually got left in the league. That's a pretty easy choice for a GM. You give the younger guy the shot. You should. I think they're you, hoping... You try and trade the older guy for assets. Which That was have. the mistake. Is yeah. you... It's not getting rid of McElhinney that was the mistake. It's getting rid of McElhinney for nothing. Yeah. That was the mistake. But it, hindsight, I mean... At the time, it seemed like the right move because it's like Sparks, you're going to leave him in the AHL for another season. He's going to leave. Yeah. I mean, in my opinion,
2: um, you know, th- this is something that um, Sparks just needs to, I think, worry more about his playing than talking. I think those comments were just a little, they weren't the right comments to make from him. And for people to say, oh, somebody else should be making those comments. The comments themselves are wrong. The Leafs' issue is not that they don't play at the motion. The issue is the Leafs aren't using their brains. They're not using their heads. They're not following what the coach is telling them. Because we know Backhock's system has worked for the past. Uh, so the, the last four five games have been not so good. So, so for the past sixty eight games, hasn't really been this bad of a big of an issue. Sure, there's been ups and downs, but for the most part the Leafs have been able to overcome them now there you know I, I do believe that there are you know we, we heard of that Nylander sick we know that Marincin is sick we know guys are injured that takes a toll that you know he back um, we're going to talk about the whole depth comment after Haley's interview um, but yeah. I'm just not sure Gary Sparks comments help that's something you say in the room.
3: Yeah, I, I don't. I don't think that should have been said out to the media. No, there's a lot of things that haven't been said out to the media. But this is just a team that's not used to losing. That's going through a slump for the yeah. first time. This is the biggest slump the Leafs have gone through. I'd say since Matthews and Marner truly came to the team. Like this yeah. is the worst stretch of play. I there's think been wins in between that have given people hope and given the team optimism. There hasn't been a stretch where it's just been. Loss, loss, loss. Bad performance, bad performance. Yeah. So that's why you're hearing this stuff is because guys are dealing with this sort of letdown for the first time and they don't know how to deal with it. Kadri, Nazem Kadri came out the other day and was like, "How do you feel about the stretch?" It's like, I've been through way worse. So I'm wondering, is he not
2: is taking it? But is he not really taking this seriously? No, I think he is. I just don't think he's he, taking it seriously. It's, it's. But his comments in the media are that. We're not, not going to let like, you guys think we're not happy like we're we're panicking. Yeah. There might, might be, be some frustration crazy. in the room, but they're not, like a guy they're, like Kadri is not going to make spot. that. Apparently. They're
3: going to make the playoffs. They're going to this, this, this is a, a crap stretch break. of play, but next 9 games if they steadily make improvements towards the playoffs, they're laughing. Mm-hmm. They only have to win what half their remaining games? Not even.
2: I mean, at this they, point, they, Montreal's they much, not catching They
3: games. have a spot locked up. They are
2: they are eight points ahead of Montreal.
3: And they play Montreal the last game of the season. So, yeah. chance to be an extra couple points up on them if they can mm-hmm. meet us. But, yeah, I don't know. It's just... Yeah, I, I think... Everyone's I, hitting the panic button yeah. for no reason.
2: This is now a great time. We will bring in our conversation with Haley. And I uh, hope you guys enjoy it. So, we'll bring in Haley's uh, talk right now.
4: Benna night
2: yanna yeah. Benna day meetina Hey I got me wanting side to sign Come home I'm talking to you See you standing over there with your body Feeling like I want to ride with you I am body. pleased to bring onto the program today uh one of the uh, the best way I can describe it is probably one of the rising voices and women's hockey just women's media coverage in general uh her name is Haley Salvian she writes for The Athletic but I'm gonna let Haley kind of give a you know a background of her stuff so first off Haley, thank you for joining us and welcome to the podcast
4: yeah thank you so much for having me
2: so Haley, you got your start um you've been I, just looking at your LinkedIn and your profile you've got quite a few things you've been uh, working on the past <laughs> few years after graduating from Ryerson, um, but currently you're with The Athletic, but just wanted to get your, uh, your background and how you kind of got into sports media and what led you to where you are now.
4: Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, I could do my Spark notes version because I tend to ramble about this because it's, it's been a bit of a long journey just because I, I've kind of always known that this is what I wanted to do. So, from a very young age, I think I was in grade nine or ten in high school when I, you know, really set out to say like I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be a sports reporter. Um, but it really started when I went to Ryerson in the journalism program. and um, you know, I was kind of taught to always be a mile wide and an inch deep and never kind of box yourself in on on one kind of career. so, Um, You know, I went into school wanting to be a um, TV broadcaster in hockey, like hyper-specific, essentially being like, I want to be like Christine Simpson. That was my dream. Um, And I very quickly realized, like, well, there's, like, one job in that, and and Christine Simpson has it, so I should maybe think of a few other options I can do. So I started working um, and doing classes in in TV and radio and print and sports and news and investigative journalism. So I really tried to make myself as well-rounded as possible. And then that really ended up working out because my first, you know, career opportunity in the industry was in my third year of university. I worked for the London Free Press for five months, uh, that local newspaper out in London, Ontario. And uh, I worked general assignments again, so news, sports, arts, whatever they wanted me to do. And it was cool because I kind of got my first look into actual sport reporting because uh, the London Knights had just won the Memorial Cup that year. And that was when Mitch Marner and Dvorak and Kachuk and were all there. So that was really cool. Um, and then I got an internship at CBC Toronto. So I started there as an associate producer, editorial assistant and graduated university stayed on at CBC Toronto in the news department um, and just kind of kept working my way up. I went from rolling prompter and running scripts to, you know, helping produce the shows. And then I started doing TV or not TV, sorry, web and radio reporting in Toronto and Kitchener-Waterloo. And then I decided to move to Saskatchewan for TV reporting. So I was there this summer. Um, and interlaced with CBC I did some freelance for NBA Canada I was in arena hosting for the Oshawa Generals which I still do Um, and I was helping with the puck talks hosting and stuff and and then once I was out in Saskatchewan I got offered a position at the athletic and to kind of finally move into a full-time sports reporting job and that's how I got here. That was long. I always end up saying that way too long. That's, that's my tall. spark now. That's actually not that's that bad.
3: How I got no, here. <laughs> I wasn't rambling. You had a lot of good information in there. so. <laughs> um, just going from like an early age, you said grade 9 or 10, that you were uh, set on what you want to do. I mean, just being in high school, I know a lot of kids are being in high school a little while ago. A lot of kids really don't know what they want to do. Was that sort of an advantage, do you think, um, just having that And just going with it from uh, a young age.
4: Yeah, for sure. Because I I just always I had my sights set on that, and and, you know all of my friends from high school they they talk to me and they all say like, wow, like this is literally all that you've ever wanted to do since we since I knew you when we were teenagers. You've always said you want to be a sports reporter, and and so it, it really just came to fruition for me and. And I mean, everyone knows that it's what I wanted to do because I wouldn't shut up about it to all my friends in high school. And, uh, you know, I just always worked really hard at it. Um, I took a co-op at a local newspaper when I was in grade 10 and started writing for them as a teenager. And just everything I did, I I made sure that it was calculated and it was something that was going to help me get to where I want to be. So I think... Yes, it was an advantage that I knew what I wanted to do, but it was also that I was setting, you know, goals and I was setting that plan in action. You know, I didn't just say, oh, I want to be like Christine Simpson. No, I sat down and I took a look at what it's going to take to get there, and I did all of that. And I think that's one of the things that some people don't really realize when they try to get into this industry is they don't actually – how much it takes to actually get here so that was something that you know I tried to look at realistically from the get-go and and just worked really hard to to get it
1: yeah
2: unfortunately there's there's the uh, audience that believe that certain female reporters and media people get their jobs because of their gender and they don't (laughs) realize and I know you've heard this Uh, I know I work with someone at Sportsnet Christine Rutherford who who the other day told me that she had a Rogers Cable guy come to her house, saw the package she has, like, oh, your husband must really like sports.
1: Yeah, I saw that.
2: <laughs> and it's things like that, you know, it, it bothers me because I know there's a lot of talented female media people out there. And this is part of the reason why I wanted to have you on is because, you know, the the, the stereotype and just, just the general uh, thinking that people have about women that work in sports. I mean, I... I see it all the time. I always try to encourage people to, you know, give, you know, give women just a chance because you know there are a lot of talented ones. In our program that Austin and I went to at uh, Centennial, there weren't mm-hmm. many women that were in the program, and our program director has always made it a point to try to reach out to them. But uh, there's there are quite a few women who get discouraged not only because of how hard it is to get into the industry, but because of you know how people kind of view women in the industry as well.
4: Yeah, for sure. I think it can be discouraging um, because, you know, there is, it's just the commentary that women get, you know, with what Christina Rutherford had tweeted there. And and Christina and I have worked kind of alongside each other at numerous things for the CWHL this season. and, And she actually came into my class when I was in university and she's been one of my favorite writers for a long time, like hands down, just favorite hockey writer not male not female favorite writer for a long time and it just kind of goes to show it doesn't matter how good you are you know people are still gonna say oh well like all this hockey stuff is your husband's right and and I, I remember you know my first day on the Marlies beat because that's kind of my main focus with the athletic as well as women's hockey and I was at training camp it was my very first day like bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and and this gentleman is standing there watching his son who was invited to training camp. And he turns to me and says, oh, which one's your boyfriend? And, and I kind of just had to look at him and say, I know you didn't mean anything by that. But I'm actually a journalist. I am not dating one of these players. I'm, oh, I'm doing my job. And, and so it's just little things like that that can be discouraging because it's, you know, no no boy would ever get asked that if there was just a random man watching marley's practice or training camp no one's going to ask him like which one are you dating on the on the ice or are you here like what are you here for no people are just going to assume that they're either just a hockey fan that's watching or they're doing their job um so it's little things like that and um it certainly can be disappointing, but it's also kind of fuel to prove people wrong and just show them no, like, you know, I don't know. I'm not the type of person that's going to get really fired up and really angry about that kind of thing. I'm just going to say, like, okay, like, that sucks. I'm still going to go and do my job and show people that I'm, I'm good at my job. That's always been my focus. I don't really want to, to rage and wax poetic about it. I just want to do my job and do my job well
2: that's part of the reason why i enjoy following on twitter and just because i i've seen and you know first off austin i just had the most cringe reaction to what you just said like if you're here it's kind of just to hear that makes my skin crawl because it's ridiculous for people to say those sort of things but um that's part of the reason why i appreciate you know following on twitter because you're and you and I have had interactions lately, and uh, we have a, we have a mutual interaction with uh, Mike Stevens, who worked <laughs> with you on the uh, Marlins Week. I'm bringing up Mike, whether he listens to this or not, he'll uh, he'll probably he's find big it. time. He won't listen to us. Um, but <laughs> I mean, you you've you've got this calm. Like I, I I don't fall venture too much as much on Twitter as probably I used to way back when. Part of the reason is because Twitter has just become a really tough place to navigate. But I like the way oh, you yeah. do it because you just, I can tell you're not putting your, you're, you're just trying to put the most logical thought into it. And you're not trying to, you're not trying to pick fights. You're just, you're really trying to be more of the, uh, the calming factor, which you don't mm-hmm. often to see too much. Um, but I, I, found that you and I had that, that interaction with Mike, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, uh, about the whole Mike Babcock situation. Um, <laughs>
1: yeah.
2: And uh, how how do you, how hard is it sometimes for you to, you know, there are moments I guarantee where you probably wish you could act like a keyboard warrior, but you, and just listen to you, you probably want to, you probably dial yourself back a little bit.
4: Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I think it's the nature of, of my job as well, because I mean, I I don't want to get myself into trouble and lose uh, the job that I have because I want to you know, go on Twitter and tell everyone that, you know, I think your opinions are dumb, Uh, whether they are or not, because I mean, my opinion is subjective as well. Um, I don't know, I just think Twitter has gotten to this place where everyone's offended by everything and everyone's yelling at each other over stuff that's just so completely unnecessary. And it's just Social media is such a double edged sword in this industry, you know, you need it for that quick information and you can use it to network and and get people to talk to you for a story and tweet your story and grow your audience, but it's also this place where you can very quickly um, you know, get obliterated online or something can get kind of made up and go viral. Um, I mean, look no further with what happened with the with the video that was tweeted about Morgan Riley with the very definitive statement that he did this. Um, and, and that's just one of the, the things that happens when social media has so much power over all of us. And so I just try to go on social and try to be, like you said, the voice of reason. And it's it's nice that you said I sound like the calming presence because I think people who, who know me pretty well would probably read some of my tweets and the very sarcastic and, really rude sense of humor that I have. So it's nice that you say I sound calm because most people probably think I sound really passive-aggressive and rude.
2: Unfortunately, I have Austin uh, with me that uh, there's moments where he has his
3: passive-aggressive Whoa. moments Easy. On, <laughs>
2: in our conversation. So I, I, I
3: get the experience in that regard. Oh, well, you know, sometimes I get... Anyway. That's <laughs> um, yeah, all right. Yeah, I it's funny yeah. that
4: you brought up Mike, though, because him and I are, are actually... He's, he sits with me in the press box at the Marlies and and he has his that. Twitter following and, yeah. and I don't know. And sometimes he tweets things and I sent him that reply that one day. And then <laughs> I thought he was, he was kind of like mad. So we started like arguing on Twitter. And so I texted him like, why are you yelling at me on Twitter? And it was actually this really, it was just weird. It was a, <laughs> cause I didn't agree with his opinion, weird. but, uh, then all of his Twitter followers, uh, Started tweeting at me, defending him. So I had to text him and be like, "You know, tell your, tell your followers to leave the Steven's
3: alone. Like, army over there." Everyone's out. yelling
4: yeah. at
3: me. We're we're definitely not singling out Mike on this podcast. No, no let no, me no, just that, make that. definitely yes, not. I I've met this
4: Mikey Stevens. This
3: is yes, Mike and I used to do did a couple of podcast episodes way back when he was still in school. Well, actually, technically, he's still in school, but this back is when not a Mike Stevens slander episode. <laughs> um, <laughs> How is it, um, you were just talking about you guys sitting in the press box, is it just sort of like you guys throwing gifts at each other on Twitter while like sitting a couple seats across from each other in the press box?
4: Usually, actually, yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot of times if, if there's like a funny Twitter thread that's coming out of a Marley's game, we're sitting next to each other but communicating via social media. Yeah. yeah. Very it's mature.
3: Sort of like people in the same room texting each other even mm-hmm. though they're sitting across
4: hundred percent sitting beside each other like sometimes he'll he'll watch me tweet him <laughs> and then look at his phone or his computer and look yeah. at the tweet and then respond while i watch him respond it's very weird actually okay. now that you you bring it up on the air
3: oh well david i do <laughs> the we same thing we'll just... oh no austin i do the same yeah. thing all the time too so it's not a. I um i remember one we... i
4: live for gifts and memes.
3: i do too there we go um I don't want to go too far down the Mike thing, but I do remember during the playoff series last year, we had Mike was, I remember the video that came out, I think his girlfriend did it of him like freaking out during one of the goals. So every time he'd tweet out, I'd send him a thing about Matt Martin because he went off on a Matt Martin rant. So I just decided to tweet at him about Matt Martin and he really got rattled. Oh yeah. Oh no. Yeah, but oh well, he's fun. That's all right. I like to bother him a little bit and... (laughs) He's a good sport. Yeah, he's a good sport yeah. about it.
2: Um, but you, you, did mention that you're, you know, you're covering the Marleys and that's your main beat. Um, what, what about the Marlies? Um, you know, the Marleys have a, a pretty good following. I know there's a lot of uh, people who have blogs or that work for, like, you know, the Leafs Nation and other sites that cover the Marleys on a regular basis. What about the Marleys Make it a fascinating beat for you.
4: Uh, well, I think it's just because you're, you know, you're literally there with, with potential Toronto Maple Leafs for the future, right? Like it's it, it's a development league and, and I'm working with NHL prospects and, and it's interesting because down with the Marlies, you know, you have a mix of these players who, you know, could get a call up any day or, you know, are, are never going to actually make the NHL. They're just on one-way contracts and just trying to finish their – you know, hockey careers in North America, and then you have the the young stars that everyone seems to care about. And you know, this being my first year on the Marlies' beat, I did I didn't get the Travis Dermots and the Capitans and the Yonsons and the Garrett Sparks and the Justin Halls of last year. But this year, it's interesting because I get to to talk with and and work with you know the Rasmus Sandine and Timothy Lilligren the first round draft picks that. You know, especially right now with all of the injuries on the Leafs are really hot topics. And, and you know, I get to watch them develop firsthand through this season, talk to them, talk to their coaches, uh, talk to their teammates. And there's just a lot of other interesting stories that you can get just once you're around a team long enough. This is my first year, so it takes a little bit of time to get Acclimated and and know everyone, know the right people, know the right stories that you should and can be doing. But it's really exciting. It's a really great beat to be on, especially for somebody new into you know a reporting role. And I think that's why we get so many young, upcoming writers and bloggers and such that are there Um, because as as much as it's you know it's developing players, it's developing journalists as well um it's just really exciting especially you know this season they're not you know on the same trajectory to win the calder cup as last year but i think there are some really interesting storylines and in, in sandine and Lilligren and jeremy bracco has been fabulous um you know i think chris mueller has been a great story he's been kind of the mvp of the, of the year for me at the marley's level and um and Sheldon Keith is just an amazing coach who I don't see being in the AHL for, for very long. So lots of exciting stuff covering the Marlies.
3: Uh, you just talked about Sandin and Lilligren. Um, Just being able to see them on a day in, day out. And obviously it hasn't been as much as many people would have thought because of the injuries, but um, mm-hmm. it's got to be great to see those two just developing. And uh, those are two guys that are going to be with the Leafs in the next couple of years. So... What is it like to be able to see them practice and then just develop in front of you?
4: Yeah, no, it's, it's really great. It's, it's I think that the Marlies and, and the Leafs organization as a whole do a really great job of developing their prospects, um, which is one of the reasons and probably the key reason why they were both kept at the AHL or brought to the AHL instead of, you know, sent back to Sweden um, just because now the organization has full reign over their development. So what they're doing in the gym, putting on weight, what they're doing at practice. And and with those two specifically, you know, they're usually the last ones on the ice, you know, practice will finish. And then they're out with with some skills coaches working on their skating, working on their shots, um, you know, just working on their speed and explosiveness. and, And it's really great to watch, you know, the two uh, prospects that everyone wants to see putting in the work to get to the next level um, you know I think a lot of people are really quick to try to call those try to get those two up to the lease you know people have been asking Babcock now if we're going to see Sandine and and people asking me all the time when are they going to get called up but you know at the end of the day uh, Rasmus just turned 19 Timothy's not 20 yet they're very very young Um, You know, we're not in the position, not we, I'm not a part of the Maple Leafs organization. Um, You know, the Leafs organization isn't in the same position as they were, you know, five, however many years ago, you know, when you have a 19-year-old Luke Shen playing in the NHL when he probably shouldn't have been. And um, it's just, it's great to watch them develop and actually have the time and be given, you know, patience to to develop into nhl players
3: kyle dubas um came out after lilligran was injured and just said that he had a legitimate shot of getting a call up at the end of the year if the leafs needed a body um and a lot of people think that there's a real chance he could make the team next year but with this high ankle sprain i mean is there a chance that he starts the year with the marlies do you think next
0: year um i
4: actually you know it was an odd one i know on kyle said that but then you know the most recent comments that he's made is that the both of them aren't quite ready yet so and i know in speaking with uh cory pronman he's our prospects writer and, and speaking with some scouts i think a lot of people in the in the business from like a scouting perspective were really surprised um at the idea that timothy could get called up Um, because I I don't think he's ready yet. I don't think he'll make the Leafs out of training camp next year. I think there's a shot that he gets a call up next year. Like he could make his NHL debut next year, but I don't think he's going to make the Leafs on a full-time basis next year because there's just no rush. Um, You know, Babcock was speaking really highly about what the organization did with Kasperi Kapanen. He played over a hundred games at the AHL level before he, you know, got a full-time job with the Toronto Maple Leafs. And, mm-hmm. and at 20 years old and, and not nowhere near 100 games yet, I don't think Lilligren is is ready for a full-time job up there. I don't think he'll start with the Leafs next year. I think he'll be with the Marley.
2: There's another prospect that's getting a lot of attention. That's Jeremy Bracco. I mean, we've seen yeah. what he's done on the ice. But Austin and I have had a chance to talk to him when we were at the NHLPA Rookie Showcase. So this was just okay. as he was getting started with the Marlies. What's it like covering him and talking <laughs> with him? Because we know he can be a character off the yeah.
4: <laughs> <laughs> I personally, I have not had a one-on-one interview with Jeremy Bracco yet. Um, he, he's an interesting character, that to say the least. Um, you know, I remember I, he's twice now tried to like just be the third man in my interviews with his teammates, um, for whatever, for whatever reason. He did the um. same
3: thing when we were at the, uh, he's, I think he could probably shadow as a journalist if he really wanted to when his career done.
4: Yeah. I mean, he, uh, yeah, I was, uh, interviewing Rich Clune, and, and he comes at, he came out with Rich and was like, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna, just gonna monitor, just here for moral support. And I was like, oh, um, okay. This is weird. And then after a few questions, he kind of just started laughing. He's like, no, nah, I can't, I can't do this. I'm going back inside. He's like, Rich, see you later for dinner. And, and him and Kloon have a really great relationship and Kloon has really taken him under his wing and, and helped him develop into, you know, a, a professional. Um, but he can, Bracco's pretty silly. Um, he He's always the one chatting in, in the locker room. I've heard, he's always the one talking on the ice. He's the one having a good time and and, you know, I don't have a problem with it. I think it's, you know, it's good to see someone with a personality at the rink. Um, he's not, you know, hurting or doing anything wrong by anyone. I'm sure, you know, he knows the moments when he needs to, you know, be quiet and let the veterans in the room talk. And he knows the moments when he's allowed to, to be silly and have some fun. And and I think Brock was the kind of player when, when he's having a good time and he's, chatting and laughing it up and being a little silly, you know, he's confident. And when Bracco's playing confident, he plays extremely well. Um, he, he's a very, very great prospect in this organization. Um, he's leading the AHL in assists. He's tied for second right now and points in the AHL. And, and I'm pretty sure he's only 22 years old. This is only, you know, realistically, this is his first full season in the AHL because last year he, he was sitting up in the press box for most of the year. This is very much Jeremy Bracco's team this year, and, and he's a very exciting prospect to watch as well.
2: Right now, um, you know, the team went off, had a bit of a rough start because the goaltending was a bit of a mystery and, you know, injuries <laughs> and such. How much are you potentially looking forward to a playoff run for this Marley's team? I know you've covered them in the regular season, but we know that the playoffs can just be a whole different atmosphere, especially for somebody covering the team.
4: Yeah, I mean, playoffs are going to be something different. They're still kind of in the fight jostling for, for the position in the Eastern Conference. I, I think that they will make the playoffs for sure. Um, it's just a matter of if they're going to have that, um, that home ice advantage. I think playoffs will be interesting. I think it'll be a really good test for this team. I think, you know, like you said, this is a team that struggled with goaltending. But, you know, with Michael Hutchinson coming in, He's been great in net, and he's also been a really good, steadying veteran presence for Casimir Cascasuo. Um, So, you know, him coming in has stabilized the goaltending. You know, it's nothing like it was last year. It's not Garrett Sparks and Calvin Pickard, but it's certainly better than it was at the start of the season when when they had Jeff Glass. Jeff Glass in on the, I think you no, he was signed, so he wasn't on a PTO, sorry. Um they had Jeff Glass and Suo and, and Eamon McAdam come up, you know. mcadams a great goalie prospect as well, but I don't think there's an organization who would ever want, you know, two rookies as their, you know, one two punch. So, um their goaltending's doing well. Their players are you know, they, they need to get players healthy. You know, Lilligren and Sandin are healthy right now, but Callie Rosen, Andreas Borgman, Frank Corrado, um, they're all out. Martin Marincin's up with the Leafs, but now he's sick. Um, Colin Greening was injured recently, so they have a lot of injuries. So, But I think if this team can get healthy and, and you know, have everyone there for playoffs, it's going to be a pretty exciting run. I, I don't expect a back-to-back Calder Cup, but... I expect this team, if they actually have bodies and, and they play, it sounds cliche, but they play a full 60, I think they can make a, a pretty good playoff run. Uh,
3: this is the time where you really start to see the PTOs and the ATOs signed for all the players. They've already announced uh, Yegor Korshkov's likely to come over. Uh, Emily Razanin has signed. Uh, Joseph Dusak, who I've managed to mess up his name more times than I'd like to mention. I wasn't even going to attempt that name, so good on you. For no, that. for writing, I have i don't know. I've messed up his no. name too many times. Um, and there should be some from the CHL and possibly college when those wrap up. Is there a certain prospect um, or player that might be coming in that you're looking forward to seeing?
4: Um, I mean, I'm not sure which ones might be coming in. You know, they're usually pretty tight-lipped. I haven't personally heard that many of of players from the chl or our university that they might be bringing in to be honest um but i I am excited to see joseph duzak coming in um i'm not sure if i pronounced the last name correctly michael either um right when it was announced that he signed i you know went and i was at practice when it was announced and i went to the head coach sheldon keith and and went to ask him a question about it, and I just prefaced it with, like, I'm sorry, I haven't gotten a pronouncer yet, so if I, <laughs> yeah. if I butcher this name, please don't hate me. Um, but I'm excited to see him play. Um, he was certainly someone who impressed a lot in the NCAA. Um, you know, was, I think he was third in overall scoring of any position, and he had the most points by any defender in the NCAA, and and. You know, my colleague Scott Wheeler did an excellent piece on him right after it was announced that he'd signed, and just everyone who's ever worked with this player has had nothing but amazing things to say to him. He's a very explosive um, offensive defenseman, but he, you know, he's also, you can trust him on your blue line. You know, he's not just there to, to put up points and goals. Um, you know, I think that he's in a... He's a really exciting prospect for me. I'm excited to see him in game action.
2: Now, before we get into our next topic, the last thing I kind of wanted to ask you about is, um, sorry, I kind of went on a, on a blank there. More but... Mike Stevens talk. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. um, it's about this idea of size. And we've heard this constantly. It's kind of something, it's one of those Twitter topics that I've grown to be very frustrated seeing all the time being brought up. But as somebody who watches the the Marlies team, and you know, you've got a guy like Jeremy Bracco who's not exactly the biggest player in the world, and you got you know a couple of guys who are on the smaller size, do you believe in this idea that size is something that an organization needs? And you know, do you think the Leafs are maybe not putting an onus on that for a certain reason?
4: Um, I don't, I think when you, do you mean like you're talking about size in the sense of like they have, they need, you know, bigger, gritty,
0: Truculous. kind
4: of like Matt Martin. They need heavy players. hockey. Is That's that, what you mean?
2: that dumb term, heavy hockey that I always hear.
4: <laughs> I, I mean, for me, I don't think that it, like a team needs, you know, a big guy to, to do well in games, I guess, you know, you know, I think. I look no further than, you know, Mike Babcock talking about this. When he wants the Leafs to play big um, and play, like, tough hockey, he doesn't mean go run and hit people and, and drop the gloves and fight. He means, you know, work hard and, and you know, win those tough battles, back check, forecheck, check, um, you know, play big in that sense. I think that's more important than size. Um you know, Trevor Moore is an excellent example of a small player playing big. Um, his puck possession numbers are, you know, I don't know about this last stretch um, because the team hasn't been, they haven't looked great. But you know, in that first stretch when Trevor Moore was on the team, you know, he's five foot nine, I think, and he was playing big hockey. You know, he was all over people. Um, you know, hitting people bigger than him taking the puck from people. He's really good at the little um lifting the stick of guys. He's quick and yeah, his possession's great. And I think that's more important. I think, you know, if the guy's small, it doesn't really matter because if he can keep the puck on his stick and if he can get the puck back from the other team and get it back on his stick, then that's that's a lot more important to me. And I think to the you know the systems that the Leafs and the Marlies are trying to play than just having a big body.
2: Yeah. Now we'll bring up the next the last kind of the last part of our interview, which is uh, your kind of role in women's hockey. So mm-hmm. before we, I ask, I'm going to put in a quick plug here. By the way, I'm not being paid for this. So <laughs> uh, if Mr. Kevin Kennedy is listening to this, uh, I will maybe potentially accept some athletic pills in their beer, which I always hear about. But on, <laughs> have you tried the beer?
4: No, I'm celiac, so I can't. I'm waiting oh. for there to be a cider or something.
2: Okay, okay, Kevin,
3: <laughs> I don't drink either. I'm I just a, see I'm, Myrtle. You
2: know what? I'm just gonna, t- I'm just gonna tell Kevin like, what's he waiting for? For and Kevin, I'm sure he's probably already working on it. Um, but on March 21st, which is tomorrow, uh, Thursday, Thursday night, you are going to be hosting with Mark Masters a live puck talks panel on women's hockey. So, you've got four CWHL players, uh, Renata Fast, um, hopefully I'm saying this name correctly, Sh- uh, Shea Tilly, or Shea Tilly? Shea Tilly. Shea, Shea Tilly. I see, I'm terrible with names sometimes. Pat. I did look up okay. a YouTube video for that. Cause Jamie Rattray and Laura Stacy. So, um, I know that the Puck Talks have had you know women's hockey panels before. I think... This is one of the first times they're doing... We, just a we went to the show. one that
3: uh, Renata Fast and Laura Stacey
2: were on. I believe that was last summer. And I was the one that asked the question The question I want to ask you about, uh, which is the CWHL and NWA N- and NWHL. This whole idea of the merger and needing mm-hmm. to come together and putting together one league. I asked the players about it. They seemed to agree that it's something that would help women's hockey. Uh, I'm sure this is probably going to be a topic in tomorrow's show. Hopefully, I'm not giving anything, any big secrets away or anything. But how important is it for these two leagues to come together? It's really
4: important. I think it's actually, it's, it's crucial for the growth of the women's game. Um, you know, women's game is literally divided right now, and and that's not good. There's this, you know, there's a, dil- a diluted talent. Cool in these two leagues because you know I just there there's so many players playing across two leagues that you know day in and day out it's not best on best um, because you have some of the best playing at the CW and some of the best playing in the NW and you know you know you've seen that there's an interest in women's hockey because whenever you get Canada and the U.S. together and you know playing in the Olympics or even just playing in the CWHL or not the CWHL sorry the the rivalry series that just happened you know there was just under 10,000 people at each of the three games for a no stakes no medal you know, friend, quote-unquote friendly game against Canada and U.S., and that's because it's, it's best on best. That's the best players playing against the best players. And obviously there's some European players who are quite good as well, but, you know, that's going to be the best hockey you're going to get is that matchup. And if you can get some of that best on best and that elite in the game on a day-to-day, you know, or weekend basis in a professional women's hockey league, I think the eyeballs are going to follow But, you know, I think the skill and the talent in these leagues right now, is still very good. It's a very, very good product. But I just think people are going to be drawn to it even more if it is one league because, like I said, you're going to have the best players in one league playing against each other every single weekend. And I think that's something that people really want to see, you know, fans, fans. players you know all of the stakeholders and the women's game want to see it it's just it's a really difficult thing to happen you know it, it's two leagues with two different business models you, you know the cwhl is a not-for-profit the nwhl is a for-profit so you know the cwhl you know could just fold and you know they wouldn't have to pay anyone out but the nwhl is private investors that they would need to pay to fold so and and you can't just merge two leagues with completely different business models. It, it's like trying to merge, I don't know, like a not-for-profit. It, I think you can play. That's a not-for-profit. It's like trying to merge. You can play with like Pepsi or Coke, a, a for-profit <laughs> company. It's it's just not black and white. It, it's it's not easy, but I think it's it's crucial for the women's game.
3: The uh, the NWHL commissioner, Danny Ryland, um, said that she believes a merger between these two is inevitable back in October. Um, You listed some of the major issues with the merger. Um, Are there any other major roadblocks or what steps sort of need to be taken going forward to uh, get this done?
4: Well, I think you just need to get all the stakeholders in the game in a room together and let them actually talk it out because I don't think that Jaina Hefford, the commissioner in the CW and Danny Ryland in the NW have really gotten a chance to sit down in an office and speak to each other about what needs to be done. Um, that being said, they're both trying to run hockey leagues, right? You know, it's not – once again, it's just not that simple. You know, you can't just leave – your league and and go and have you know meetings here and there and prep for this and prep for that it's not like the nhl where gary bettman can go and do you know the board of governors meetings the gm's meetings and then the seattle press conference because gary bettman has like xyz people who are still going to be in the offices and making sure the league runs smoothly you have so much so Many staff members and employees at the NHL that the CW and the NW just don't have. I've been in the CWHL office, and it's I think there's like three, four people, you know, wearing multiple hats. So Jana can't just leave and, and go and try to hash things out with Danny for a couple of days, and, and Danny can't do the same um, thing. She can't just pick up and leave her league to come and try to talk about creating a new one um, in the middle of the season. So I think this off season is going to be really imperative. I think this off season, if you can get, you know, the NHL, the CW, the NW all in the same room and, you know, have real conversations about what needs to happen and and the stakes of why it needs to happen. You know, I think there are some players in both leagues who who seem to think that come next year, puck drop, it's going to be one league, not two, Um, but there's going to be a lot that needs to be done this summer to
3: get to that point. Uh, a lot of the major four leagues, excuse me, in uh, North America have sort of uh, the conversation of expansion overseas has come up, and obviously the CWHL does this. Uh, they have the team in Asia, Shenzhen, excuse me, <laughs> I am terrible with pronunciation, um, okay. they have Nora Ratty, they were in the Clarkson Cup final last year, yes, mm-hmm. sorry, I'm Drawing a blank. <laughs> Goodness. Um, that's just a uh, interesting thing. It's sort of the first league that's been able to have an overseas team that uh, works and just works within the league. Um, how big is that for the CWHL that they're one of the leagues that has expanded overseas and been able to make it work?
4: Well, I think it's important that they did it because without the, the team in China, they wouldn't really be able to be paying their players. You know, they... They signed a really huge, you know, five-year partnership together, and um, you know that increase, that influx in their budget has helped the league be able to actually pay their players for the first time. So I think that partnership's really important. But I also think going forward, I don't know what the future is going to hold for that partnership because having a team in China has a lot of complications. Um, one of the things with that team is, is you know, these players in the CWHL they work full time. And so when teams go over to China, they're there for 10, 12 days. And so a lot of the teams that go over to China end up going, you know, with half their roster, not there because they can't take 12 days off of their job because they don't, they won't be able to, you know, have enough money to, to live. You can't, you know, when you work full time and you're dependent on one single salary, while also juggling professional hockey, you know, taking 12 days off to go, to go play in China isn't isn't an easy feat. Um, I know the Toronto Furies were extremely shorthanded in China, and those were really big playoff implication games. You know, the Furies still made the playoffs, but I think they went one and two that weekend with half their roster still in Canada. So I think there's a lot of complications with that China trip, and, and you know, last year you saw a number of the, te- the players from that team leave because you know, it's, it's hard, you know, you're picking these players up and moving them to China where they don't really, it's a completely foreign country for, for most of them. Um, And they don't really have anyone there other than their team. And, and there were some issues with the rank, you know, you're, you're teaching some of these women how to play hockey for the first time. So I know some of the women quit because it was just too, too much for them to handle. So I don't know what the future is going to hold for, for the team in China. I think it's great that they did it. I think it, like I said, helped them pay their players for the first time, and it, and it really helped the league. But I don't know what's going to happen at the end of that partnership. I, I really don't know. That's a big question mark still.
2: Yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how that story develops. Uh, kind of two last questions we have for you. One I have is about um, kind of a big story in the summer that – I got traction, but I felt like didn't get as much attention as I think it deserved, which was, uh, Haley Wickenheiser and her joining the Leafs as a skills mm-hmm. development coach. Um, when you saw that announcement, what was your, uh, kind of your reaction when you saw that this, uh, this partnership?
4: Oh, well, I think it's great. And I think it just shows, you know, that new age way of thinking that Kyle Dupes has brought into the organization. Um, You know, for anyone who was on social media or wherever they were talking about, why would they hire her? What's a woman gonna bring? um, Haley Wickenheiser is one of the greatest players to ever play the game, and and you know she's gonna bring or she is bringing a completely different you know viewpoint um, of the game of hockey to the Leafs organization. And it might not be something people thought they needed, but you know, this is something that Kyle says a lot is the more diverse your organization is and the more, you know, the different strains of thought that you're bringing in, the better you're going to be. So, um, you know, they didn't just hire some random woman. They hired Haley Wickenheiser. She's one of the reasons I was interested in hockey as a kid. I read a book about her and was like, Ooh, cool. We have the same name. Like she's really good at sports. I think I like her a lot. And and, you know, she was the first hockey player that I ever latched on to. And, and that's just an aside. But, you know, her accomplishments speak for themselves. She's, you know, one of the most respected, one of the, well, she is one of the most colourful Canadian Olympians ever alongside Jaina Hefford and Carolyn Ouellette. So I think that's a huge hire for, for the organisation and, and just covering the Marlies. I've seen her out on the ice with the team numerous times, um, you know, helping develop players and i don't know i think if there's people who think that Haley wickenheiser can't bring anything to the table they clearly haven't been paying attention
3: you uh said talked about Haley wickenheiser being one of if not the greatest women's hockey player of all time if you had a mount rushmore for women's hockey who would be on it
4: oh geez <laughs> um so how many do I
3: get? Four. Yeah, <laughs> we could do honorable mention if you want, because I, I had trouble with this. I tried to put it together because I was like, if I don't have anything, well, also, why don't
2: you give yours first and we'll give uh, Haley a chance? Well, okay, fair time. enough.
3: Um,
4: this is a tough one
3: because I, I sort of, because we went from. I'm trying to figure out how to explain this. I've. Obviously, the Nagano team and going forward with women's hockey in the Olympics, I've sort of seen like the most recent teams. So marie Philippe Poulin was somebody that was on mine, but then going back and well, looking, well, she'd be on mine of like recent. She has to be. She oh, she has absolutely. To be. But then I also kind of I jump back and forth. So the ones I put down for mine, and this is like marie Philippe Poulin is one of them. I had five because I couldn't choose mm-hmm. four. So I'm really breaking my own rules here. Um, Angela James I put on there because just an incredible pioneer for the sport. Haley Wickenheiser's on there. She is the face of Canadian hockey for women's hockey for over a decade. Even longer. Yeah, even longer. I'm I'm shortchanging her. (laughs) Two decades. Thank you. Yes. Um, Cassie Campbell I had on there. Um, And Jaina Hafford was the other. Person I had on there with marie philippe Poulin is the fifth.
4: Your yeah. Interesting. I mean, I think that's a really hard, yeah, really hard question because I mean, you can look at it from a number of different ways. On you know, based on the legacy, based on scoring, based on just who you like more. Because, I mean, Cassie Campbell-Pascal, and I was talking to her, you know, about something like this the other day, and I said to her, like, you're in the conversation of the greatest of all time. She's like, no, I'm not. Anyone who (laughs) who says that is wrong.
1: That sounds like Cassie. uh, Oh,
4: Cassie Campbell is amazing. But she's like, I'm just like, she's like, I was a, you know, because she switched positions, and she's like, Anyone who's really good at their... Really, really good at their position would never get asked to change positions. So I am not one of the best because <laughs> I switched positions when I was playing. I don't know how I feel um, about that. But I think... No, I think Cassie Campbell, her legacy and just yeah. the voice that she is for women's hockey, she is... She's left a, a great footprint on the game. But I don't know. For me, like... I, I, uh, Jen Faudreau great. I think Angela yeah. Ruggiero is great. Um,
2: oh we oh, might need a couple of mounds of rushmore for haley was it
3: was it angelo regiero i'm trying to remember it was haley and wickenheiser and another female player were the first two to be in an nhl game i don't remember i don't know if anybody would remember that was like nhl like one of the early. well 2010s. haley
4: wickenheiser was the first woman to ever be invited to an NHL like rookie camp so she yeah. was invited to Philadelphia Flyers like rookie training camp when, in like 1999 after the first yeah. Olympics um, I'm pretty sure Jen Botterell was invited but she said no um, or maybe it was Tammy Granado. Tammy Granado was invited but she said no because she would, did some broadcasting work instead
3: yeah. but um, I, I mean Wickenheiser um, also was able to play overseas too, which is crazy. Playing Finnish, I believe Finnish hockey. I yeah, played
4: in Division Two in Finland, yeah. and she was the first, the only woman to, or the first uh, woman, or the only woman to score a goal um, in men's professional
3: hockey. Yeah, just that's so, has, thing.
4: definitely she's on my Mount Rushmore. She's yeah. you know her accomplishments speak for itself, and and she holds like a little personal piece. Of my heart, you know, getting me interested in the game. But I mean, if I could give like my Mount Rushmore, I'd say Wick um, Puleans on there, 100%. Um, you know, she's been on in the game now for 12 12 years, and and she's won at every level except for the NCAA, and she has five you know, goals and three gold medal finals. Nobody else in, in the men's or women's game has done that. She hands down won two Olympic gold medal games for team Canada. So she's on that Mount Rushmore for me. Um, I think Cami Granado's on there. Um, you know, the first captain of, of team USA in 98 when they won.
3: I just realized I went full Canada. <laughs> That's yeah, not showing yeah, any bias Cammy there. Granato. Yeah, no kidding. Who
4: else? I think Angela James left a really great legacy as well. Um, so we can put Angela James on there. So that's three. Oh, no, that's four. Oh.
3: <laughs> I went five, oh, no. so it's just as many as. <laughs>
4: oh, man.
3: I yeah. threw the rules out I the guess window. I like
4: four. Okay. That's like four Wick, Pooh, Cammy, and Angela.
2: Well, it's an impressive... You know, it's it's a good thing when you're having a tar- tough time only picking five, yeah. even though it's... Yeah. So I think I think that's the important part of the women's game kind of moving forward and that you have these women who have led left such a great legacy. Uh, so it's great. And hopefully uh, people do go out tomorrow night because um, it's going to be a great event. I mean, Puck, Puck Talks is always a great event, but something that's just focused on... Women's hockey, I think people can get a lot out of it, especially those who don't follow it as close as I think uh, it should be followed. So uh, it's tomorrow at seven. Uh, I think doors open at six thirty. It's at the Rivoli, which yep. it, so it's Rivoli. It's a great venue for these sort of things. Yeah, so
3: that's
2: uh, it's a lot of fun. And then you should all bug Haley afterwards when well, the show is done don't and bug just, Haley. But just go off and that's ask.
3: That's
4: fine. People. You can come and bother me.
2: But we'll try to c- come bother you if we uh, if we can make it out. So definitely, uh, this was a lot of fun. Uh, you're our, only our third guest to ever come on the podcast. Uh, we've had Chris Johnson and Keegan Matheson. So you're our first CJ. Fe- tough
1: shoes to fill.
2: Oh CJ, we we've bothered CJ way too often. Yeah, but we I have wanted to have you on for a while, and I figured this was the perfect time. And uh, I was really glad that you were able to give us a time to do this and. We're gonna bug you again. I already said we're bugging you again, so <laughs> all
4: right. we'll, have, good.
2: we'll have to have you in our in our studio, definitely.
4: Yeah, next time for sure. All next right. time I'm not cooped up trying to finish a story.
3: Yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> good luck or, with that. Oh yeah, thank
4: you. My deadline is looming, so I gotta. I'll get back to writing now.
3: <laughs> pushing you too far towards the deadline, are we?
4: <laughs> no, it's all right. All
3: right. All right, we'll we'll let you
2: get to that. Thank you for your time. And uh, make sure you guys all follow her work at The Athletic. Um, What is your, because I I always just say follow her on Twitter, but what exactly is your Twitter handle? So I make sure I don't mess that up because I usually do.
4: You know, I got asked this in an interview before, and I gave the wrong Twitter handle because I don't know my Twitter (laughs) handle. Um, It's Haley underscore Salvian. So H-A-I-L-E-Y underscore S-A-L-V-I-A-N. Super
1: oh. simple. Don't wow. know how I forgot that. But I yeah, will. <laughs> I've me. got
3: an underscore in mind too. It's, those will get you. Yeah.
2: So I, I'll make sure to put that when we put the podcast out. I'll, I'll link to the Rivley event. So it should be a good time. Thank you, Haley, for your time. And we will catch you next time. Yeah. Thanks, guys. First and foremost, I'd like to thank uh, Haley for her uh, great professionalism in that interview. Wow! Um,
3: Thanks for putting up with us.
2: Yeah, if she's still uh, if she's listening to this, you uh, you definitely put up with a lot in that interview. This is kind of the first for us in that we we did the interview, we started recording our stuff, and then (laughs) we were told to get out of the studio.
3: Yep. So.
2: So I'm like, okay, looks like we got to come back to my place and record. And unfortunately, if you've never driven in Toronto traffic in the afternoon rush, screw yeah, <laughs> Oh, it's, no. you're basically Enjoy just, it. so we, you know, we picked up a little bit of food because, you know, now you got we're, hungry.
3: Now we're at
2: yeah, we're in the semi almost complete office of my house. Um, not a lot in here. As we are currently, I'm using a square, what we call, usually call it a card table. It's a square card table. Um,
3: Serving a purpose.
2: Serves a purpose because I have all my furniture in another room and it's got piles and piles of stuff. So, um, yeah, I've never, we've never in the history of the podcast recorded an interview, drive an hour and a half, (laughs) pretty much felt like an hour and a half, and record the rest of it. Uh, But yeah, no, the one thing I'll say about Haley's conversation that we had with her is just, A, this is a person that's advocating for women's hockey and know what she's talking about.
3: We don't talk enough about women's hockey on a day-to-day. It doesn't get the proper coverage it should.
2: No, and I think, but I think some, like, the people who really know about women's hockey understand why, and that women's hockey, first off, needs to sort out the issues, as we talked about, that the two leagues have.
3: As soon as they sort out that merger, it's gonna, it's just gonna go.
2: Because the NHL right now doesn't want to deal with that, and Ellie Freeman's 31 was, thoughts brought that
3: up. Yeah, that was part of the issue. Gary Bettman doesn't want to deal with the fact that these two leagues don't want to become one. Yeah, they. Tri- as soon as they become one, they're gonna get backing from the NHL, and it'll be like the NBA and WNBA. It'll be just like that.
2: Yeah, and it'll be good for and and the woman. I think it's gonna have to come from the players to yeah. decide that they want it.
3: I mean. Also, uh, Brianna Decker and Kendall Coyne doing what they did yeah, at this year's All-Star Game. Like, How much well, exposure is women's hockey?
2: In a way, I think Team USA even went further beyond that when they decided they weren't going to play until they got paid. Yeah.
3: There's been a that lot of strides the over step. the last year in women's hockey. It's uh, all good.
2: Now it's up to the fans to show I mean, the support you, and
3: everything. Did you see the tweet of the, I believe it was the Buffalo Buttes. I think I sent it to you. That The sold Buttes. The I love that name. Great name. First and foremost. Well done. On the team name, um, the video of them, the crowd like waving the towels. There's like ten thousand people. Oh yeah, it. that was crazy. If they can get support like that and merge with the CWHL and get a TV deal, it's it's gonna skyrocket. Oh yeah, and that's all I really. I don't know. I need to watch more women's hockey. I think everybody needs to watch more. I don't watch as much as I. No, should. and I don't
2: either. I I'm, I I mean I know who's playing in the CWHL final. Yep. which is uh, between Le Canadien Canadiens. and the Calgary Inferno. So, the I mean, you should watch it. It's going to be the all-women all f- crew. Are they going to have
3: the final in Toronto again? Yeah,
2: or? it's at the Coca-Cola Coliseum. There you go.
3: We'll Sunday go watch afternoon. that. That would be a fun
2: game. Go see. I would be. I think I'm working, though.
3: What, what day is
2: it? It would be the Sunday.
3: This Sunday?
2: <laughs> yeah. I'll watch it. I'll be watching yeah, I'll, it. So. If
3: I can't make it out, I'll be watching it. Definitely.
2: Um, so the couple things I want, I think we learned from this interview from Haley, is that the guys in the Marlies, the Leafs have a plan. Yeah. And that there's a reason why we haven't seen Lily grin up as of yet. Yeah. Even with the injuries and stuff, there's more than that. There's a reason why certain guys are not up. They're just not plain simple ready. There's people who are saying... There, I think what happens is these guys they get their tires pumped in the Marlies, yep. but we don't. We forget sometimes that you can be good in the any in the AHL. It doesn't translate always to the NHL.
3: And Timothy Lilligran hasn't even turned twenty yet. There, Haley said it best. There's no rush. Uh, you just you take it slow with these guys. When they're ready, they're ready. Exactly. It's, it's the difference between in mindset with organizations between a team. And I don't like calling them out because they have a very upset fan base right now. But the Edmonton Oilers. They're a prime example of what can happen. They finally did the right thing with Evan Bouchard. Yeah, Sent him back down to junior after they had a good look at him. Sent him back down. Didn't force him to play And he's
2: among, he's now, like, that that London blue line is one of the best in the OHL.
3: If they had gotten Brady Kachuk on that team, they would have had Brady. They would have had three top ten picks on their roster this year from the past draft and then they would have also had another first rounder in Conor McMichael.
2: Because they would. They have they Bouchard, Bouchard, Bulkwist.
3: Bulkwist, yeah. And they would have had Brady up if he didn't stick in Ottawa.
2: There was never. That like I when I talked to Brady in the summertime about London, he's yeah. like there was it was either, I mean, it was look, either he left university. He left he left university, a really good university program.
3: Or I don't think he would have ever gone to London, but just the prospect the, of
2: the prospect of it had. was interesting. And people thought, you know I'd, Instead rather, of, I'd play
3: in the NCAA too because he can get his education and play top competition. Because BYU plays a lot of top yeah. games.
2: Not only that, it's also, do I make the track to the OHL or do I get my paycheck right, start getting paid right away in the NHL? And oh, no, sorry. I can... And look, Brady Kachuk can play in the NHL.
3: Yeah, he's stuck. He's stuck for a reason. He's not just there because Ottawa needed the body.
2: I mean, in a way, Ottawa did need the body. They wanted to show the but fan pace. <laughs> You know what, he was good enough that look, I know Ottawa is probably gonna lose a top five pick.
3: Yeah, the, that he's gonna get called. Unfortunately he's gonna get dragged. If it's Jack Hughes, if reasons.
2: it's a one or two, yeah. okay. If it's three, I it's don't mind a
3: similar player. It, it, it's if not, it's three, it's, it's probably f- Vasily Put who's gonna yeah. stick in Russia for a little while. So. I feel
2: so more sorry for him than like I I, I hope people don't. Say, oh, they chose Brady Kachukovic. No, they decided to not do what most organizations should do, which is protect your first-round pick. Like, yeah. you're a team that... Yeah,
3: they put stipulations on picks.
2: Every team... Columbus did it, I'm pretty sure. But Columbus also... Like, people was saying, oh, Auto's getting all these picks, but they're not getting the one that's going to...
3: They did put a condition on things. the pick. The only issue was the condition was which year it would be, and they had the choice.
2: Yeah, and Otto had the choice. I mean...
3: Most teams, like even the, uh, this year, what was it? St. Louis did the Ryan O'Reilly deal. Their pick was either lottery protected or top 10 protected. Yeah. In case they fell out. And for most of the season... And, like and you know what?
2: First. What I will say is Ottawa is not the only team to make that mistake. The Leafs made that mistake with the Kessel trade. But guess what? The lottery system was different when yeah, when that one happened. That was
3: only for one pick. Exactly. So uh, Ottawa has... Three chances to get egg in their face. Yeah. On their face, excuse me. Um, You have to hope
2: it's like another situation where New Jersey...
3: Unless they get Hughes or Kako in this draft, it's not going to matter. Yeah. But Colson is still a ways away. He's playing in Russian Junior right now. He's not coming over for a minute.
2: So, um, with that being said... um,
3: Sorry, we went off on an Ottawa... Well, it's
2: okay because Ottawa kicked the leaving daylights out of the Leafs on Saturday. And you know that, and we were just talking about the Garrett Sparks comments and how I, I was saying it's not emotion the Leafs needs, it's just their their mindset needs to change. Simply put, they just need to,
3: as simple as it sounds, they just need to show up on time. Yeah, you show up and play. The first 10 minutes of the game, like you do the last 10 minutes of the game when you're behind, you're laughing. You're winning most of those games.
2: And people, and people, I, and look, I mean, I'm tired of hearing the whole starting on time. But it's true because you see the Leafs dominate the end of the
3: game when they're down. That's the saddest part to me is that they play so poorly. And then they just, and it's, they're back to just... In
2: a win. lot of that, look... People want to see – talent. Dubis wants the talented team. Guess what? The talented teams, we see it in the, in a lot of leagues, not just in hockey, a lot of other sports. Talent will come through when it needs to, but it's not going to always be there right from the start. Yeah.
3: Talent might take a little bit to get going in the game.
2: Because, look, there's the – Trupulence
3: will be there all the time.
2: And I, I, I do agree. Like, look – I can see why people are wanting that, you know, that checking all that stuff because you can do that all game. But guess what? It's not... Whether it's going to lead to a goal or not, you...
3: Wayne Simmons scored his first goal last night for the Predators against the Leafs. He has as many goals as Nick Batan since the trade deadline. Yeah. You don't need truculence. You You don't. You get a couple more hits in a game, that's about it.
2: And, And you know what? Haley put it perfectly. It's not your size that defines how you play it is your mentality and it's again it's a mentality people it is not emotion emotion doesn't tell you to go hit a person your brain says i need to hit this person people and this is my issue with i think with a lot of the takes i'm seeing on twitter it's not people talking with their brain it's a lot of people talking with their heart Right now, the hearts are, are weeping.
3: Yeah, just be hard on the forecheck. Be pests on the puck. Win the puck battles. That's what you need to do. You don't need to be a massive team. You're going to get tossed around by some teams that still have big players. If you do the simple things like win your puck battles and get pucks on net, you're, something's going to go right.
2: It's a mindset. Look, the reason why I love the way Sidney Crosby plays, he plays hard. He's skilled. But there's an only one Sidney Crosby. Anyone. He hits. He, he does. But he's like a he's not like, push you off the puck. Like he's not a. I'm gonna smoke you.
3: Other than goals, that's literally the only thing that Obi wins in the comparison between them is hits. Yeah. <laughs> Crosby's he's a better than every player. other.
2: But Crosby is a the. He look and the NHLPA put up that poll.
3: Yeah.
2: Best forward Connor McDavid. Look, Connor McDavid is electric. He's the- he is a game breaker. He is the most skilled player. But guess it should, what? It should be Crosby. Best but Crosby.
3: forward and best all around forward.
2: And guess who they and know who they said was the boss. I'm pretty sure they said McDavid oh. was. But look, Patrice Bergeron,
3: Sidney Crosby, Sidney Crosby. Two way centers in the game.
2: They are two guys that when it matters, they're gonna bring it, yeah. both ends of the ice. And you know, Austin Matthews can be that player. Yep,
3: yeah. he's not that player yet. Though.
2: And the Crosby wasn't that player right away either. No. Conor McDavid isn't that player right now. Like, it takes time for these guys because the one thing about NHL players that have been here for years is they have experience. They know how to play the certain way to win. Austin Matthews in his junior career was not – and Conor McDavid weren't told how to win. They were told how to play well enough to make the NHL. Not to win at the NHL level. To play well at the NHL level. And they do that. They do that. But now and now they're gonna start learning.
3: That's also played in junior hockey. You're not really taught in junior hockey to go out and be a two way forward. Guys that just know how to play that way do it. Yeah. But you're worried about your stat totals, you're not worried about
2: Well, we're seeing that we're seeing that with the world juniors. Yeah. Canada, what do we know? Oh, they got a lot of skill. Guess what? They're being beaten by teams like Finland. Who I think are, are changing their mentality of being doing all the things right to win. Barkov is one of my favorite players to watch in the league because also he a plays like
3: 200 foot player,
2: 24 minutes tonight. So nights, 25, 26 minutes. He's a defense, pretty much a defenseman playing forward because he just does so much.
3: Yep, and um, just part of the junior team. I mean, Barrett Hayden is probably going to be one of those guys, big character. Eh. Use character guy to sort of explain yeah. players that aren't as great, like a locker room guy. But Barrett Hayden, he plays 200 feet. He's great on offense. I think he scored up between the legs goal last year in the OHL. Like he's he's special. He's going to be good. That's why Arizona took him to five.
2: And you know what? That's why I think some people are criticizing Dubis because he's going for the really high skill players. But how many of them are playing 200? Like they're relying on Sheldon Keith to teach these guys. How to play the two hundred foot game? And
3: look how that's worked out.
2: It's worked out.
3: Yeah. No, I'm. That's a Kapanen, good thing. Kappen and Johnson are both killers.
2: Tyler, uh, I mean Tyler Moore is a guy. Tyler. Trevor,
3: Tyler, Tyler Ennis, Tyler
2: Ennis. Favorite? Yeah. This <sighs> has been a long day. Uh, Trevor <laughs> Moore is a guy we're gonna start seeing. I mean, Batcock. He, he killed too. He can. Um, I I do think like when I look at this is an off season question. This is gonna be an off season thing. <laughs> But um, we're gonna have a lot of fun
3: talking. About this off-season. is gonna like, be holy
2: top. crap. It's gonna be a long offseason. Um, I I do think you know there is gonna be some conversations about the defense. Absolutely. This this recent this stretch, look you got Jake Muzzin you have Morgan Riley, and you've got Travis Durbin, and you you arbitrarily have Nikita Zaitsev, but I think he's got to be he's got to be gone.
3: The. I mean Dubas knows this. It, there's going to be a an heightened importance on getting a couple guys in the team that are your depth guys.
2: Sometimes your your best addition is by subtraction. Yeah. You get rid and of the guys who are not performing at the level they should be. The people are talking about Patrick Marlowe right now who's a hey, he's, he's got a no move he's got a no movement clause. This is a conversation between the coach and the veteran player to say, look, you're expected to do this. You're being paid to do this. You need to start p- showing up and doing it.
3: Patrick Marlowe's here next year. Unless something crazy happens, the only other place he's going to go is San Jose, back to finish his career.
2: Yeah, he'll wave. Opinion. He'll probably wave his no moon clause to go back there.
3: But that'll still be a big thing. Like he brought his entire family over from San Jose, left his whole career. They still love him. It's fine.
2: Oh, they yeah, it wouldn't be a hard transition for them.
3: Yeah, they would love to have him back,
2: but the, the least Leafs <laughs> to send him back, they'd have to eat money on that too.
3: You'd have to eat money. Or you'd have to give up more if you weren't eating money. Exactly. You'd probably have to give up a pick. Or
2: and look, we were, and I don't think the Leafs are going to consider that Bab yeah, will, Babcock will.
3: Use Marlo. Babcock loves Marlow.
2: He does. Marlow just hasn't. I, I haven't just haven't seen what I saw in past years. Look, Patrick Marlow was one of the top forwards in the playoffs last year for the Leafs, he was along with playing, Marner.
3: He's also playing with Marner and Kadri. So, and so
2: you know what? Maybe how, that's how a,
3: different is Marlow's season if Nazem Kadri isn't having one of these snake bitten years.
2: I think if Naz,
3: if Naz has that like 30 goal, like what we've seen the last two seasons, mm-hmm. I think Marlo's probably what a 20, 15, 20 goal
2: score. I'm wondering, do they, the Leafs need to consider now? Look, I don't think you move Marner f- away from Tavares, but you need someone to play on that Marlo Kadri line to get them going because they haven't.
3: It can't be Connor Brown,
2: it can't Sorry. be. And
3: it's a good fourth
2: liner. And the th- issue with Kappen, and look, everyone talks about Kappen, what made Kappen a really good. Was just playing with matthews yep. He was playing with johnson and matthews that was a fantastic I don't, I
3: don't know who you put with them though because you don't put johnson down there johnson's been good with Mar-
2: no matthews. and it's a left-handed shot deal you're not gonna have you're not gonna have three right-handed shots playing with matthews you want one left-handed shot so
3: it would be kapanen or nylander i would rather keep willie with matthews though
2: yeah That's unless just- unless you move woolly down because you're not happy with how willie's defense has been with Matthews like you want that
3: Willie is dominating play right now I don't he even is. need to look at advanced stats to tell you he's been you know, yeah he's, he's been not great the best leaf over the last and switch. I
2: know that Babcock's been also been critical of him sometimes so but, hey, but Babcock's been using them I will say you, Babcock won't use you unless he thinks you're doing something right
3: Babcock keeps Connor Brown in the lineup even though Connor Brown might have 10 points I can recall off the top of my head this year
2: this is, this is a tough thing I mean, we, we had the, points, we had the Connor Brown discussion at the la, in the last podcast and look he's not performed offensively at 2.1 yeah. are we are we gonna get two you know into a guy that's only getting paid 2.1 million no it's not the that's not the Leafs issue Connor Brown has been also snake bin I I, I think it's part of his mental because he realizes that people are, Looking for him to go, which is unfortunate. Yeah. Um, I don't think people really realize what that's like. Uh, what's his points total? I see you have it. There. Six
3: goals, nine, uh twenty-five points. He actually is doing pretty <laughs> well. He's getting the six. It seems like it's a lot of like secondary. Like I can't remember the last time. Like, he's not. He's not. Couple not, games back.
2: He's not. He and you know he. I think because he's thinking my mentality. He. I have to provide the defensive part of my game. Offense isn't his priority, and maybe that's the problem. Maybe he's he hurt. I don't know. He's
3: not one of those guys that has to be that player, though. Like he's a former twenty goal no. scorer. He could go up and be offensive. He can. He doesn't look like he has the confidence right now.
2: But probably that's probably it. Um, and he's not going to get a playing on the fourth line, unfortunately. No, he's going to be in a
3: shutdown role, even third line. That's, I would. That's a I would. Line in the I
2: would like if you would if he can get. If Kadri and Marlowe can try to help, but all three of them are going through their own thing, and They're that's the sniping. problem.
3: That's the problem.
2: Yeah, that's the problem. Well, they play the Buffalo Sabres. Uh, hopefully, I mean, by the time I get <laughs> Two this... Hours. In an hour, yeah. By the time this podcast comes up, it's probably, if you listen to this, Puck drop's probably going on. That's why I try not to talk about too much timely things. But, um, yeah, I mean, the me, main part of this podcast was Haley's interview, so... There's that, and I uh, hope you guys uh, give her a follow and look at the stuff she's doing. I hopefully whatever piece she's working on in the athletic, you guys check out. I know I we will. Did, we
3: didn't get any spoilers, so we will be reading along with you.
2: Exactly. I don't want to do that to yeah. a subscription-based company either. That's
3: we did not ask because it's better for you and us to go read and pay for the content she, she and everyone else at the athletics putting out.
2: Um, did you also see uh, Sophie Sophie Turner, who was also Sansa Stark in the Game of Thrones, just crushing a cut a glass of wine? Oh, at the Rangers. At game? the Rangers. That's game? who that
3: was. I I don't have HBO, so I I might I mean, get
2: crucified <laughs> for this. I've never seen Game of Thrones. I mean, I will say I don't have HBO, but I've seen Game of Thrones, so. It's not too late, Austin. I know you're a person that can binge watch something very easily. (sighs) Yep,
3: I can. I just finished the Last Kingdom, actually. If you need a good show to watch,
2: I'm almost done. I'm almost caught up on the Punisher.
3: Oh right, you were watching that last time we podcasted. Good. Second season
2: yet? Oh yeah, I'm almost near the end. Killing it. So I, I've, I'll probably. If you have any good Netflix
3: suggestions, feel free to hit us up.
2: Yeah, so I'm I'm gonna, I'm gonna finish that off uh, because I need to get a. I I mean, part of the reason why it also took us a little longer is because I, um, while Austin was do, talking with our pro, former program director, I was on the phone with Matt Black, who I mean, if you're a CFL an Argo fan, story to tip of the tower, yeah, I talked to Matt Black who just retired from the CFL. I know people have their opinions on the CFL, but this is a guy that if I'll give you a little hint about his his story was in 2017 when the Argos won the Great Cup, he was cut halfway through the season. Eh, about halfway. Gets brought back onto the practice squad. Injuries happen. He gets back into the game. Helps him win a game against Edmonton. And like Toronto was going on this bend where they're really pushing it towards the playoffs. Grey Cup comes around. He's playing. Final play of the game. Calgary has a chance to win it with a throw to the end zone. He gets the interception.
3: That's who that...
2: Yeah. So, um... Yeah, I mean, this is a guy that I mean, when I—that's what the story's gonna be about, just about his yeah. contributions to the team and him sticking around. Um, but yeah, that was part of the reason why it also took us longer to get this done and finished. So, um, yeah, tough. thank you guys for bearing with us. Uh, Haley, thank you again. If you've li- if you've listened to this whole podcast, Haley, I commend you. Appreciate it. Um, yeah, and we'll we'll be back next week again to. I wanted I wanted to get an episode in with Jake, um, but I was just dead <laughs> exhausted on. God, show episode with Mr. Uh, <laughs> I mean, we'll have to have him on. I think oh, he's. I'm messaging him now. I think he's dead. He's. I mean, you want
3: to do a podcast after the game?
2: <laughs> no, I don't have time. I don't have the energy for that. But we'll we'll get him in. I think we may make this a double week episode, depending on what happens after the Buffalo game. Ooh. So we'll we'll work on that. Thank you guys for listening to the podcast. Make sure you subscribe to us on Twitter and on Facebook. Um, Follow all of our work on Tip of the Tower. Austin's got his lacrosse stuff. What's that site you're working on? Uh,
3: It is called Lacrosse Flash. It is new. uh, Well, not new. They've been around for a hot minute now. They're working. They just started a blog, so I'm writing for them. If you care to read some lacrosse content, uh, feel free to uh, check that out. It's all over my Twitter. I've been uh, retweeting their stuff, so we appreciate a look.
2: Uh yeah, and the mayor just sent out a tweet congratulating uh, Matt were Black.
3: About to say the mayor just tweeted you. No, I might like, Yeah Mayor Tory.
2: No, I'm not that famous.
3: You and Johnny are on a first name basis. I you. met
2: John. No, I met John Tory once. The other
3: JT in Toronto. John so Tory.
2: I'll have a John Tory story. I was in. I was in journalism <laughs> just stretching school. Well, oh, we're stretching it out. I have a story.
3: Okay. I, story
2: on. time. Go. Um, I was in. Uh, my last year of university at Ryerson.
3: Yeah.
2: I was taking this. Oh, it was my favorite class. I, one of my favorite classes because it was so easy. <laughs> it, so it was busy. easy, but it was like I got to do cool stuff. It was a multimedia journalist class, yeah. multimedia journalism class. Um, and so we had to do like a Twitter. It was like covering a story over Twitter yeah. with tweets, videos, pictures and stuff like that. So John Tory. Was doing a rally. Mm-hmm. Uh, this would have been in 2016, so this is when the Leafs were getting into the playoffs.
0: Yeah,
2: because yeah, 2016 was the first. No, wait, 2016 was the Matthews year. So what the heck was he doing? I'm really confused on my own story. Wow, this is really bad.
3: Yes.
2: Um, but no, he was having something at, at City Hall. He was raised. It was the Blue Jays. That's yeah. what it was. Blue Jays. 2016 playoffs. They're having a Blue Jays day at Nathan Phillips Square. Okay. I, me in a not exactly in the most professional. Um, oh, no. I wasn't worrying. Like, Did you
3: make a journal Nona?
2: I mean, I wasn't worrying the most. Uh, in like, People knew I was like not a professional journalist. Like I wasn't a working journalist, but I was obviously in. the knew there. how to do scrum. So I was in the scrum. And people were kind of just like looking at me. I didn't ask Tori a question because I didn't need to. It was kind of all well, the because you were
3: probably there with what city news and all the actual Every, all the
2: actual media were there. <laughs> um, and I remember, okay, Blue Jay was playing over the speed. It was it was fun, mm-hmm. um, but I remember that, and that was probably the closest I've ever gone to John Tory. Um, although I did meet him once when I was working for the city, he came to visit this. We were doing this announcement at a facility I was working at, but.
3: I don't know how we got off on this John Torrey tangent. But oh, because John
2: Torrey sent out a tweet uh, right. congratulating Matt Black on his retirement.
3: Um, our John Torrey
2: used did, to work for the CFL.
3: We did get to scrum John Torrey when I was in journalism uh, his first day in office. Wow. So that was pretty cool.
2: See, we have sto- we, we have journalism story, guys. Well, so-
3: the, uh, we, we did journalism. I don't know why I'm still off on this, but um, our journalism class was the class before Somebody at Centennial was actually the one that tweeted out the the viral video of Rob Ford admitting he smoked crack. Ooh. It was actually a student from the year ahead of us. Wow. So they were on the Ford beat and then we got the Tory beat. <laughs> so we got to see John Tory's first day in office. Sprained my ankle that day too. Ouch. So that was a I, Man, I I it out. Well, also if Patrice you want Bergeron, If you want a
2: I, tour, I can show you where Rob Ford grew up cuz he's just down the road from us in my name. No, no. His parent, his parents live like down the road near a park.
3: Fair
2: enough. Okay, but uh, yeah, that's that's where I'm. I'm in the capital of Fordville.
3: Ford Nation. Fordville. Ford Nation is the way that. I, people... w- I mean, I was in Scarborough. I was in Fordville East.
2: Yeah. Well, now that we're officially done with our stories, I want to thank you guys for sticking around for that little tangent. Wait a second. No. Go okay, you're good. <laughs> um yeah and we'll have we'll definitely try to get i think i think it's time to get jake back uh, on the podcast he's had too long of a vacation so we'll I, try to take me. a
3: day off that guy makes me just upstages me every time he's on he's great I, you, know? you don't need me jake's jake jake is the podcast no so.
2: jake would love to have you on heart too. and soul guy we'll have to have him on uh thank you guys for listening we will see you again uh very soon and yeah. uh hopefully the least pull out one in buffalo